0: And welcome back to Hits 21, where me, Rob, me, Andy, and me, Lizzie, look back at every single UK number one of the 21st century from January 2000 right through to the present day. If you want to get in touch with us, you can find us over on Twitter. We're at Hits 21 UK. That is at Hits 21 UK. And you can email us as well. Just send it on over to Hits 21 podcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for joining us again. We have finally made it to the year 2001.
1: This time,
0: yeah, we'll be looking back at four UK number one singles, um, and it's the period covering the 7th of January 2001 through to the 9th of March. And I just want to say we're starting at the 7th of January because for the first week of 2001, Bob the Builder was still holding on after Christmas. He was still, you know, sort of, I, I don't quite know how to describe it, maybe he's hanging off the cliff of number one and he's using that like, you know, the bit at the top of a hammer that just kind of extends out, he's using that as like a, like a, just a sort of cling on. Yeah, so that's what he's doing <laughs> at the moment. Um, so, we're in year 2000, we're in the year 2001, so things have moved forward in time, obviously, uh, just because we're starting the year over again, uh, we're just going to reacquaint you all a little bit with how old we were and what we were doing. Uh, at this point in our lives, if we can remember back uh, 21 years to when we were all still single digit ages. Is that is that right, Lizzie? Were you still nine, maybe ten max at this point?
2: Uh, for the first half of the year, I would have been nine going on ten. Um, yeah. Starting the year in year five, eventually going into year six. And yeah. yeah, Andy, what about you?
1: I was eight going on nine, year four going on year five. It was a good time. My, my main interests included Pokemon and Star Wars, one of which is still a big interest to this day. I'll let you guess which. Um, yeah, it was a good time for me. This was around the time that I started playing music. I started learning my first instruments in school in 2001. Um, my first instrument was the euphonium um, which oh, we wow. still play to this day. Ah. But yeah. And we got our first keyboard in the house around this time as well. So I started to become a musician around this time, which is lovely.
0: Yeah. Oh. I'm kind of similar. I was a little bit younger than you two. I was six going on seven in 2001. But I remember being in second or third year of primary school and starting uh, guitar lessons. Oh. Um, but they didn't really last that long. Um, I mean, I play the guitar now, but it's because I picked it back up when I was about 17. And uh, mm. Mm. it was, so yeah, the, so it was a, there was a bit of, like, basically a 10 year gap between me starting to play the guitar and then actually learning to play it. Um, but I was just um, saying to Lizzie before, Andy, before you sort of came and joined us, um, before the episode, that this is the first year where I'm looking at these songs and I can actually remember them being around. ...from the time, like the songs that we're covering this week... I, I, the, only, the, ...the first one that we're covering... ...maybe I'm a little bit hazy with... ...in terms of whether I actually heard it or not... ...but the other three that we've got... ...I remember them really vividly... ...maybe not being number one... ...I didn't really start paying attention to the charts... ...and you know listening to Radio 1 on, on a Sunday every week... ...until I was about maybe 10 years old... ...but this was the time where I remember these songs being on the TV... And like the music videos, and there's a a little story from one of the songs that we're going to be covering this week, where I remember my dad went out and bought the album that it was from. Uh, try and guess which ones, which. Uh, I can try and guess which one it is out of the uh, out of the four that are there, because my dad's forty in the year two thousand. Remember, and so whichever one he goes out and buys will be interesting anyway, regardless of what song it is, because yeah. they're they're all yeah. songs that you would not expect to find in my dad's CD collection around the year 2000. But, um, okay, so we've sort of acquainted you with where we were, um, now we're just gonna do our usual and let you know where the world was. Um, and I have to be honest, um, there were points last year where I kind of struggled to find news that was worthy of like you know really reading out other than like you know some minor government minister complaining about something or other where it's like no one's gonna remember that Whereas like you know big news stories and stuff that people really remembered or big cultural moments and stuff like that sometimes i was you know kind of really looking around like different websites for like on this day sort of thing and i was kind of struggling whereas this (laughs) this week this episode um we, we, were sort of, we sort of had an overabundance of news, uh, so, <laughs> um, so bear with us a second while we go through this. The High Court rules that the identities of John Venables and Robert Thompson, the two people responsible for the murder of two-year-old James Bulger in 1993, are to be kept secret for the rest of their lives. The two men, who were both ten-year-old boys when they committed the murder, successfully argued that their identity should be protected after their eventual release from prison. One of the men, John Venables, has since had his identity changed another two times and has been imprisoned three more times for downloading indecent images of children. And in sport news, uh, Sven Joran Eriksson becomes the New England manager six months ahead of schedule after resigning as manager of Lazio.
1: Meanwhile, in medicine, Tony Blair's government launches a £3 million campaign to convince parents that the MMR vaccine is indeed safe and that there is no link between the vaccine and autism in children. Meanwhile, a 33-year-old man appears in court, charged with knowingly infecting his ex-girlfriend with HIV. Despite concerns that the police obtain the man's blood samples from a confidential study, he is subsequently sentenced to five years in prison.
2: Elsewhere in the UK, 10 people are killed and 82 people are injured when two trains travelling at high speeds crash near Selby in North Yorkshire. The crash occurred after Gary Hart, the driver of a car on the M62, fell asleep at the wheel and careened onto the railway line. One train then collided with the car and was subsequently derailed into the path of the other oncoming train. Hart was charged with 10 counts of causing death by dangerous driving and sentenced to five years in prison. Meanwhile, the foot and mouth disease crisis begins and would eventually result in the deaths of six million cows and sheep in the UK.
0: You weren't joking, Rob. Wow, that no, was, that's, was a, that's, lot that's going a, on a lot, that lot of news. Wow, yeah, yes. yeah. And I think it may have something to do with the fact that one of our songs is number one for a bit of time in this episode, and so right. maybe yeah. there's a larger, you know, gap to kind of you know draw from. But I thought, yeah. yeah In terms of, you know, actual news content, 2001 is stacked compared to 2000. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people say, don't they, that 21st century didn't really begin until 2001. Yeah. You know, 2000 is a bit of a hangover from the 90s. Mm, Definitely. The films to hit the top of the UK box office during this period were as follows. Uh, Unbreakable, again, for one more week. Castaway, for three weeks. What Women Want for two weeks and Ridley Scott's Hannibal for four weeks. And Channel 4 debuts a new puppet show from the production company of Muppets creator Jim Henson, The Hoobs, who interact with Earth from their fictional home of Hoobaland. Oh, you to love The Hoobs. Like oh, see, that.
1: this is where the age gap, although it's a small age gap, it becomes significant because, I, I, I mean, I, Lizzie, I don't know if you too, but I was too old for The Hoobs. I don't remember that at all. I was too old yeah, for that. I Yeah, I was definitely yeah. too old for the hoobs. Um, yeah. I
2: think I'm I'm more familiar with some other debuting Channel 4 programs from that time. Because um, <laughs> Phoenix Knights debuted in January 2001. Yeah. And also Pop World debuted January wow. 2001. Wow, Pop World.
1: <laughs> well, there's yeah. a few other things that debut around this time. Get ready for my bit here, blimey. So, Lily Savage's incarnation of Blankety Blank debuts on ITV. Uh, the Channel 4 group launches a new channel, which you may have heard of, called E4. And Anne Robinson upsets the nation of Wales after she appears on BBC <laughs> comedy show Room 101 and lists Welsh people as one of her biggest pet peeves. <laughs>
2: I remember that. I do remember I mean, that. All of them?
1: All of them. Everyone from, you know, Catherine Jenkins right through to Russell T Davies. Every single one of them. Yeah, you know, <laughs> that seems unlikely.
2: But. Yeah, uh, none, yeah. Of, none of you are free of sin. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Meanwhile, ITV also debuts a new talent competition called Pop Stars, which will attempt to put together a five-piece vocal group and which we will no doubt be discussing again very shortly. Oh, aye.
2: Oh, yes. Uh, Meanwhile, over on the BBC, EastEnders begins its Who Shot Phil storyline (gasps) after long-running character, Phil Mitchell, is shot by an unknown assailant. The shooter is eventually revealed to be his ex-girlfriend, Lisa Shaw, in an episode that caused the third-largest TV pickup power surge on record, and, due to its 40-minute length, delayed the UEFA Cup semi-final match between Barcelona and Liverpool (laughs) by 15 minutes.
0: That's incredible. (laughs) Uh, It really is amazing.
2: Yeah, and like back in the real world as well, the BBC. One person is injured when a bomb explodes outside of the BBC television centre in London. What is going on? I, these last two I do remember that. What? Yeah.
0: What Say, I think it was like for two, the year two thousand. We were all asleep, and then we all woke up in two thousand and one and went right time to make some news. Because <laughs> uh, Jesus Christ, um, honestly, it's like the day to day reading out all of those headlines. All of that stuff
1: happened in like two months. Yeah. Why me? Pretty much. Did we, all, did we all watch Who Shot Phil, by the way? I watched that happen. No. And, uh, no I, was, I, I was
2: a Cory kid.
1: I was a Cory kid as well, but I tuned in just for Who Shot Phil, and me and my family all thought it was Lisa. Get in there. Yeah. <laughs> How are the uh, album charts looking, Andy? Well, it's very, very unusual to do this because as of right now, um, one by the Beatles at the start of the year is still number one. Um, It was nine weeks at number one overall, which we've previously mentioned, and just to give you some context for how long that's been at number one now, it hit number one in the same week that same old brand new you by A1 got to number one on the singles chart, and it's still there at number one, (laughs) (laughs) which was like three episodes ago for us now. Uh, Yeah. But it is finally toppled in the first um, couple of weeks of January by another re-entry Greatest Hits by Texas, once again. Oh. I get Even more bizarrely, I think, that that's back at number one again, which, for context, that last got number one in the same week that Stomp by Steps did, which is even Eww. longer ago. <laughs> um, and then we have, I'm just going to say it, we have Chocolate Starfish and the Hot Dog Flavoured Water by Limp Bizkit. <laughs> and I'm going to say Bizkit every time, because it's not Biscuit, it's a Bizkit. Ugh, yeah. Um... I assume this is the one that your dad owned, Rob.
0: Uh, I yes, would... my dad went out and bought chocolate starfish. Yeah.
2: Because I, I would have guessed <laughs> Atomic Kitten. I thought maybe he was a big OMD fan.
0: Uh, <laughs> yeah, no. It, it, well, his explanation for it was... I asked him about this years later when I came to Limp Biscuit fully aware of their reputation, not just in the new metal community, but sort of like... Or in the metal community, but sort of in like the wider sort of music appreciation community and how much they're kind of seen as a bit of a punchline and a bit of a joke. And so I asked him like, I remember you buying this. Why did you do it? And he said, well, you know, he said, you know, he grew up on a lot of rock music. He grew up on a lot of prog and a lot of, you know, things like White Snake and Deep Purple and things like that. And so he thought, you know, and then he kind of lost touch during the 90s. And obviously he had me. And so a lot of pop culture from the 90s, my parents aren't really aware of because they were a little bit busy while they were um, raising me. me. And, um, <laughs> and so hit the year 2000. I'm six, seven years old. I'm like, you know, going to after school clubs and stuff. So my dad's like, okay, got, got some time. I'm going to try and get back into what's popular in rock at the moment. And he said he just walked into HMV and he just sort of thought, oh, you know, Limp Bizkit sounded vaguely interesting. So I'll see what they're doing um i can't remember whether he liked it or not um or whether he was into them (laughs) or not but he's always had a little bit of a there's always a little bit in him where he thinks like new metal could be a thing that he could get involved with i think it's just that my dad's a very mild-mannered person and so
1: yeah the idea of like getting into heavy rock
0: (laughs) and yeah i think listening to heavy rock and stuff is totally fine for him but the experience of it be you know a person getting involved with the culture and stuff has always kind of put him off a little bit he likes to consume this stuff from an arm's length um mm. if you will so yeah that was that was the album that he went out and bought and i'm pretty sure he's still got it somewhere um not mm. sure where whether we kept it or not when we because we, we've we moved house quite a bit uh sort of between 2012 and 2016 but I'm not, yeah, i'm not sure whether it survived every move oh but, well i hope yeah it did. yeah <laughs> yeah i got to find it
1: yeah it, i mean it did well it got three times platinum overall uh, which is nothing yeah. to be sniffed at uh, oh yeah it was
2: huge yeah
1: completely dwarfed though by what came after it uh what supplanted it at number one for six weeks which was no angel by dido which uh-huh. i can say we had in my household it was a favorite of my sisters she went out and bought that probably pretty much straight away so she probably helped that get to number one um and listen the hell out of that i imagine that with the timing of it that was inspired by stan at least to some extent but dido was really big in her own right as we as we previously mentioned yeah. you know um thank you was was a big hit even though it's now mainly remembered for being used in stan um but yeah that went 10 times platinum an absolutely huge huge album mm. that's nearly nearly as many as one by the Beatles. Um, it's, it's, it's huge It's actually Of all the albums We've covered On this whole show So far It's the second Highest selling um, Wow Yeah And mm. six weeks At number one So well done to you Dido You've made my job Easier next week So thanks for that
2: yeah. And Thank You Wasn't even out As a single yet Because her single yeah. At the time Was Here With Me
0: Oh that's a great song
2: Yeah Oh, oh yeah, yeah it is Yeah Yeah.
0: How mm. are the states Looking Lizzie?
2: Um, as mentioned In previous episodes Independent Women By Destiny's Child Would stay at number one in the singles chart throughout January. In February, Shaggy and Rick Rock would take the top spot with It Wasn't Me, which would sell almost 2 million copies and would finish at number 12 on the year-end Hot 100 and at number 81 on the decade-end Hot 100. After that, a little band called Outcast would score their first US number one with Miss Jackson, Aww. which went three times platinum and finished at number 25 on the year-end list but it got stuck at number 2 in the UK behind a song we'll discuss a little bit later Finish yeah. off February and into March the US number 1 was Stutter Double Take Remix by Joe featuring Mystical which was certified gold and finished at number 13 on the year end list but mm. would only reach number 7 in the UK mm. Mm. it's a really good song though, actually Oh. Um, I'm, I'm sure you'd remember it if you heard it, but uh, you know the name Joe doesn't. Kind of... No, I
1: was going to say it's not ringing a bell. Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> um, meanwhile, in the album's charts, the Beatles will still be at number one at the beginning of 2001 with their compilation One, before being usurped by Jennifer Lopez's album J.Lo for one week, ah. which went four times platinum and finished at number 22 on the year-end Billboard 200 and number 88 on the decade-end Billboard 200. That was then overtaken by Shaggy's album Hotshot, which stayed at number one for four weeks and went six times platinum in the US. Which, and that would also finish at number two on the year-end Billboard 200, just behind... Oh, wow. What else? Won by the Beatles. Oh, of course. <laughs> of course. Can't get
1: away from it. <laughs> God.
2: All
0: right, then. Into our songs for this first episode of 2001. And the first one up, the first new number one of 2001 is this. This is Touch Me by Rui Da Silva featuring Cassandra. Released as a standalone single by Portuguese DJ Rui Da Silva, Touch Me is also the first single of any description to be released by Rui Da Silva, both in the UK and internationally. It is also the only single released by the DJ to have charted inside the top 100 in the UK with follow-up single Feel The Love reaching number 135 in 2002. Touch Me went straight in at number one as a new entry, knocking Bob the Builder off the top spot and it stayed at number one for one week. It sold 68,000 copies in its only week atop the charts, beating competition from The Way You Make Me Feel by Steps which got to number two and Every Time You Need Me by our old friend Fragma featuring Maria Rubia which got to number three. When it was knocked off the top of the charts, Touch Me dropped one place to number two, and by the time it was done on the charts, it had been inside the top 100 for 14 weeks. Andy, um, how are we on this, on on Touch Me?
1: Yeah, well, I had a sort of... Interesting introduction to this song because I, I must say, I didn't. I, I sort of remembered it but didn't really know it and just sort of popped it on Spotify and didn't realize there was a single edit of this and found that I'd listened to the eight minute version of this, oh uh, no. which didn't did <laughs> go on. I'm not gonna lie, it just sort of kept going. I feel like it's still going. Uh, but i have got about five minutes in for. I was like, this is going on a bit, isn't it? So I thought, let's finish it. Um, nothing to report there. Listen to the single edit. Save yourself some time. Um, it's decent. It, 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 I quite like this. I quite like the sound of it. It, it. It's very well produced. I can see why this became popular. It's, it's another one of those songs a little bit like, I'm not going to say the name yet because it's a certain song I think it's very reminiscent of. But there's some songs from last year where i said... Well, I can see why this got to number one because I can imagine it being on in the club, as it were. Um, I can't particularly imagine people choosing to put the CD single of this on at home. But I can certainly imagine that it was very popular on nights out. And I think I wouldn't be at all surprised to hear this still out and about now. In, um, in uh, Maybe in... Uh, probably more in the gay village. But um, <laughs> I still wouldn't, wouldn't be surprised to hear this about at all. Um, it's fun. So in terms of what it reminds me of, I think it's strikingly similar to Toka's Miracle. I don't know if that's just me. Do, do you two feel that as well?
2: Yeah, a yeah, little
1: bit. I do too, yeah. It's in the same key, for starters, um, and it's, it's got very much the same sort of sound to it. And I really just kept expecting, after each verse, for it to pipe into. You know you... I just I just kind of expected it to pipe in every time, and I couldn't really get that out of my head. So I can't help but see this as a sort of inferior step-sibling to Toka's Miracle, uh, which itself was not all that, to be honest. <laughs> but um, no, I do I do like this. I, li- I like the sort of slow build throughout. It's got some lovely little background synths in there. Um, I've never heard of either Rui da Silva or Cassandra, and my attempts to do a deep dive on them pretty much yielded nothing. Cassandra's web page, uh, Wikipedia page is about 200 words. Like the, She's just a total one-hit wonder with this. Um, but I do, I do like it, yeah. I, I think, like I say with so many of these tracks, and I certainly said this with Toka's Miracle, is that I just wish it went somewhere a bit more because it has this nice slow build throughout that really kind of hooks me, and I wish it kind of climaxed with something. I just sort of felt a little bit... Eh, there's a certain x-factor from this that's that's just a little bit missing but i i'm starting to feel like i think like that with with all songs of this sort of dance pop genre to be honest um but it's continuing a very proud tradition that has started in the 90s and we've had a few examples of last year and certainly going on into this year and i need to make my peace with that really and as this genre goes yeah pretty decent i don't have a huge amount to say about it to be honest but it's it's pretty decent. Um, I think I would choose to listen to this again, which I don't always... It's mm. <laughs> not always the case. Yeah. So, not e- not even the case with all of the songs we have this episode. So, yeah, I think that's quite a compliment to say that I would listen to this again. And I think... I feel like it's a grower. I feel like this... I've listened to it two or three times now, and I've liked it more each time. So I feel like this is growing on me. Um. And I'd be interested to revisit this at the end of the year to see if I like this more when we do our year-end charts, because I think I may well do. Yeah. Hmm.
0: Yeah, it's... Funny that you mentioned Toka's Miracle there, because, like, I'm, I've got it in my notes.
1: <laughs> I think it's quite <laughs> striking, though, isn't it? It's really quite, it really jumps out at me. Mm-hmm. It, it, it is very similar, I think. Yeah.
0: yeah. I agree with you, Andy, in the sense that, like, it feels a little formless and structureless. Yeah. It, you can feel it growing, but you can't really feel it developing, if you know what I mean. Like, you get a couple of additional layers here and there, but I struggle to remember where I am in the song... And when I'm away from it, I do struggle to remember much beyond the way the title is sung. Like, just, touch me in the morning. Like, that's all I really seem to remember when I'm not there. You know, I'd need lyrical cues or something written in front of me to really remember. Um, It reminds me of another song that kind of comes later this year, but does this kind of thing, but much more memorable and much better. Um, But I will say that I like the atmosphere, of this and i think in mm-hmm. terms of the production i think it's the best track this week in terms of just the sound quality and the rendering of its various uh, of its various strands um i love the um the meter switch up at the beginning where you think it's coming on the one because when you press play it goes um it's um dun 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 but then when the Beat comes in, it's so it kinda comes in halfway between the one and the two. Yeah. And that so caught me off a little bit.
1: Yeah, yeah I remember yeah. noticing that myself, yeah.
0: Yeah. It reminds me it's a bit of a weird comparison, but it kinda reminds me of P- uh, Pressure by Paramore where that comes in with the um, And then when the drums come in the, the riff is played the same, but it's just phrased slightly differently, where it's and it just knocks it on that extra half beat. And it kind of tricks you into thinking that the rhythmic expressions are going to go one way, but then they end up going another way. I like being tricked and surprised and caught off guard by things like that. And every time I listen to it, I've played this about five or six times just to get to know it. It's like a little puzzle that I have to put together at the beginning of the song, and I appreciate being made to work with stuff like that. Um, And
1: and Rob, do you know what other song did that, if you remember me mentioning last year? Toka's Miracle did that last year, where I made that comment about how the the, the main melody line hits on a different beat to what you might imagine. It's not the, I need a miracle, it's I need a miracle. Yeah, so that does that too, so maybe that's an
0: inspiration as well. Mm. I also quite like the little bridge section as well, where she keeps repeating that one note over and over again and it leaves you in suspense about where it's going to land because it's the we can only understand what we are shown and then you also get the where the how was I supposed to know that starts way before the beginning of the bar where she's like how was I supposed to know our love would grow and the way that each syllable is pronounced makes it sound like it carry on indefinitely and it does make it hypnotic in a way like it has a pretty obvious driving beat 4-4 time but it does have this way of making your head kind of loll about a little bit and i imagine in the right setting this really works you know for eight minutes just having this kind of revolving constantly it, it i guess it can become quite mesmeric in the right atmosphere but as a piece of pop Like, I don't know, even cut down to three and a half minutes, it kind of, like, it reminded me of Toka's Miracle also, in the way that, like, it just kind of goes on until it finishes. And it doesn't really finish, it just kind of fades out. They just pick a moment to go, and we'll turn the dials down now, because there's nothing new we can do. And so, yeah, it's decent, and it has a lot of good parts, but I'm just, as a piece of pop, I'm just, like, I want more structure, I want more songwriting. I, you know, I, I get that that's not really the the point of something like this. It's more about you know layering rather than like you know meticulous attention being paid to yeah. the various uh, various parts of the song. But yeah, it's it's decent, but I wouldn't go any further than that. Um, Lizzie, how about you?
2: Yeah, I, I agree with you both. I think I'd say Tokus Miracle is a better pop song, but I prefer the sound of this. Like, I, yeah. I do think it has quite this intense pounding sound which you know I, I kind of agree that it's not something you tend to just listen to at home but if you hear it in a club i can imagine this would go off um also a little fun fact this is the first portuguese artist to have a number one single in the uk
1: oh oh yeah ah. only that's a great from, fact
2: that's only wonderful. took 49 years but you know <laughs> here we are um but yeah, I love that we're kicking off two thousand one with a number one single that hints at the future of music while giving a nod to the past. You know, particularly that sample, the, the Spandau Ballet sample, which was actually the subject of some legal wrangling at the time. Like I was watching the Top of the Pops performances at the time with not at the time, from the time, with um a couple of friends. And I'm like, oh just wait till the sample drops. It's like it's so good. And it never kicks in. And it just yeah. like I'm assuming they were still having some issues with it when it was released, but I'm guessing it's been resolved in the twenty years since. But you know that do 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 that's from um I think it's Chant Number no. One by Spandau Ballet. Ah yes yeah. yeah. I don't need this pressure on you might know it as. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, um I really like this. I think it has like I say, it's got that kind of intensity to it, and it kind of I think it it builds up and then it builds back out again, so rather than just building constantly and constantly up and then stopping or fading out it's kind of like a a sunrise and sunset, like a that kind of um, what would you call it, not a crescendo but Yeah, I know hmm. what you
1: mean, it has that sort of ebb and flow to it Yeah,
2: that's it, the ebb and flow, yeah Yeah, and yeah, like I I made a note here like you wonder what the people of 1968 thought the music of 2001 would sound like and if you ask them to describe it I can't help but feel like it would maybe come close to the sound of this song which is like it's precise and clinical but also kind of otherworldly and passionate mm. I, I, I don't love it but I, I definitely like it I
0: think um, when you raise that point about 1968 2001 like how how would the music of the new millennium sound like I think I I feel that too
2: Yeah Or maybe they just assume that I don't know you press a button on a a glowing cube and sound <laughs> would come out
0: <laughs> Where we're going we don't need instruments um, <laughs> Uh okay does anybody have anything more to say about uh Touch Me
1: no, oh, let's move on. No, uh, yeah. yeah. Thanks high, Rui. Thanks Cassandra. That. I'm sure we'll yeah. see you again.
2: <laughs> Say hi to Romney <laughs> for me.
0: <laughs> Alright then next up is this This is Love Don't Cost A Thing by Jennifer Lopez. Released as the lead single from Jennifer Lopez's second album, entitled J.Lo, Love Don't Cost A Thing was Jennifer Lopez's fourth single overall to be released in the UK. It is also her first ever UK number one, but it is not her last. Love Don't Cost A Thing went straight in at number one as a new entry, uh, knocking Rui De Silva off the top of the charts, and staying at number one for one week. It sold 67,000 copies in its only week atop the charts, uh, beating competition from Book Rogers by Feeder, which got to number five, 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 five. and In a Smile by Texas, which got to number six. Why mm-hmm. by Mystique? Uh, that's a that's a name. Uh, yeah, we, we got, which got to number eight, and Camels by Santos, which got to Camels? number nine. Camels Not by Santos. Yeah. Have
2: you heard Camel? that?
0: yeah no i, don't I have hope. not oh. no
2: it, it's it's kind of like french house it's not great no. <laughs> don't go out your way
0: <laughs> well thank you santos um when it was knocked <laughs> off the top of the charts love don't cost a thing dropped two places to number three and by the time it was done on the charts it had been inside the top 100 for 13 weeks a lot of stuff at the beginning of the year just kind of fading out quickly I find 14 weeks, 13 weeks. Yeah, that, you know, that's pretty short. short. Yeah. Mm. yeah, pretty short. Lizzie, what do we make of uh, "Love Don't Cost a Thing"?
2: I'm also just going to sneak a plug in here because uh, we're doing something a little bit different with the Hits 21 Homework playlist, um, which is why I recognise a lot of those songs that you just mentioned. I'm trying to collate like new entries in the the top 10 or top 20 from this period and. Just getting, um, you know, getting a vibe of the sound mm. of the time. And I left Camels by Santos off the list because it's just not very good. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, yeah. So yeah, but yeah Apologies, Santos, if there. you're listening. Yeah. Inner <laughs> Smiles on there. Wise on there. They're all, they're all great. Yeah. yeah. Um, Thanks, Leslie. Um, yeah. But, yeah, go and check that out. Um, it's on Spotify, and I'll try and get it on Apple Music, I guess, at some point, if people want that. Mm. Um, this is not very good. Um, I think this is pretty forgettable aside from the chorus hook Um, and like, I don't know, I I don't usually focus on the message of a pop song because that's that's not the point but I think the message of this is pretty flimsy overall. Like, the multi-millionaire pop singers know that it's okay to date other multi-millionaires. Like, if you're... If you're raking it in from your single sales, I don't expect you to be dating the guy from Chicken Cottage. It's okay <laughs> to just admit, <laughs> it's okay to be attracted to other people's money and to like, you know, exist within your own social circles. That's all right. And like, it's a theme that I guess has already been covered in Do you remember that Don't Impress Me Much by Shania Dwayne? Oh, yeah. 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 Like, was this a common theme at the time where it's like, Money doesn't impress me, even though. Well, I'm sure. I'm sure if you asked, it clearly does.
1: Well, of course, J Lo would go on to do this herself again with Jenny from the Block, wouldn't she? Which that's true, which, yeah. Which, which got a lot of criticism because a lot of her neighbors and contemporaries from when she was young was like what do you want about jenny from the block you've always lived in a gated mansion like always what do you mean jenny from the block <laughs> <laughs> she's just she's a sort of fake normal person and it rubs me up the wrong way to be honest yeah. do you know i
0: always think like <laughs> yeah how many years removed from juicy by biggie which i like has the best line for this kind of thing where it's like I mean, I mean, to be fair, like, he actually lived that kind of stuff, but he says, you know, blowing up like you thought I would, call the crib, same number, same hood. Like, it's just, it's amazing. It's like, got all this money, never left my hometown. It's just like, I I just think that's, like, the best way to do it. Like, just (laughs) really small and encapsulated and then how many years on away from this and we're still doing it. Like, that's the ultimate kind of... I think that's the ultimate message. <laughs> it's the ultimate <laughs> line for that kind of message. And we're, how many years on and we're still doing it? And um, how many years off price tag? You know?
2: Yeah, and, um, definitely.
0: The way I are, as well, and things like that.
2: <laughs> but yeah, it's like, when we've, when we've got actual, like, fun R&B, like Destiny's Child still around on the charts, I just, I don't see a, a need for this, really. It's It's, it's okay, but... <laughs> Doesn't really make much of an impression. Mm. Mm.
1: Uh Andy, what about you? I very much agree with Lizzie. I really, I really do just preach at everything you've said there. I, I, I'm probably about to get in trouble with some of my my fellow gays here, but I've really never, <laughs> I've never got J Lo. I've just never mm. understood her popularity, if I'm honest. And I don't mean this as any kind of personal offence to her at all. J Lo, if you're listening, we're cool. It's okay. But like. <laughs> I just think there is an inherent kind of vacuousness, vacuity, I think. There's an inherent kind of emptiness and sort of soullessness to a lot of her songs. I don't really feel like there's much identity or interest in most of her songs. I feel like it's it's all pretty generic kind of entry level R&B music and I've I've always been a little bit mystified as to how she seems to be such an icon. I get that she's absolutely beautiful and she's a fashion icon, And I'm sure that that Mm. has a very large part to play in it. As a musician, you know, I I just, I'm not really getting it, to be honest. I also, so this is, I'm going to set the stall out for something fairly large here that is going to come into play quite a lot with me over the next few years of this, um, of these number ones, which is that early noughties R&B is one of my least favourite genres of music, full stop. Um, I always refer to like two or three different examples of the ones that are just like oh one of them is Dilemma by Nellie and Kelly Rowland, which is mm-hmm. No matter what oh. I do, how yeah. Um <laughs> oh. Yeah <laughs> really, really annoying. This is another one that I always refer to as like, oh like it's just sort of empty and nothing. Um I don't I don't really understand why this got so popular. I get that it's a little bit catchy and it's got a little bit of rhythm to it. It has that sort of slightly kind of seltzer dance kind of Latin influence to it, but not really. Only a little bit. Um and and yeah, it's, it it loses points because of the the sort of emptiness of the message that. I, I get that she's probably trying to go for this sort of Notting Hill thing of like, Oh yeah, I'm rich and famous, but you know, I'd happily marry a homeless man. You know, no you wouldn't. Come on, no you wouldn't. You know, I just, I just don't buy it at all. Um, And I, I just, I just think I have to sort of, I don't have to believe in the message of the song, but at least I at least have to be taken away with it to some extent. Mm. I at least have to be like, yeah, I get this, I can relate to this, and I can't relate to this. This is someone on their ivory tower trying to claim that they're not on their ivory tower. It's like, where's my point of entry for this? And if it was musically more interesting. That would make it okay. Then it would hook me. And like I say, it's not that bad. You know, there's nothing wrong with it. So I'm not going to put it in the pie hole or anything but there is a there is just a lack of connection for me and i think that's the same for a lot of jlo songs there there, there is one jlo song that i really really like um which gets number 1 actually so i'll be able to rave about Ooh. that when it comes back around but respectfully that that's nothing to do with the fact that it's jlo the reason why i like that song it's just yeah i, I unfortunately i just sort of don't connect with this artist Um, And I think it's largely influenced by the fact that the music just isn't that interesting for me. And in the case of this particular song, I just think there's no hook to it there's no there's no message hook there's no lyrical hook there's not really any musical hook it's just kind of elevator music as far as i'm concerned um which is a great shame but it's entirely average it's not nothing wrong with that it's not awful it's not great it's just entirely average
0: um sorry jen sorry i'll make it up to you yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's funny actually that you two have read it that way because i've read it a slightly different way because okay. a big thing of 90s hip-hop, and there's always at least one song on basically every record that's always a bit like, oh yeah. Which is just like this paranoia that when, you, when you're when you a rapper and you get famous, the women are going to come and take your money. And like, the, the, it, it, there's loads of them. I, you know, like picking out specific examples, would be a waste of time because we'd be here all day. But there is a very specific kind of song where it's like, it's normally on their first album or their second album where, like, their name's spreading a little bit and all of a sudden the attention that they get from girls is, like, way more intense than it used to be. And it's just this paranoia that, like, oh, you're only with me because of my money and, like, you're just going to take my money and run away. And so I think J-Lo is coming at it from, like, the point where it's like, I'm not going to do this to you. Like you know, and it's you know I, I like hmm. you for you rather than the money that you have, but it does feel a little not maybe not necessarily hollow, but I don't fully buy it because she'd already had pretty massive singles by this point. She was beginning to make it as an actor. I think she was um, not far off mani- uh, marrying um, like at the time it was Chris Judd, but like I seem to remember she had that relationship with Ben Affleck for mm-hmm. years later and stuff. And so, like, you know, she was making a go of it and, like, she'd already had um, On the Six come out and uh, Waiting for Tonight. Oh. That one's okay. And, That's okay. And that things one. like mm-hmm. that. But what yeah. I mean is, like, you know, she'd already gone, like, two times platinum and stuff. So, like, meh. whether I believe in the story or not, it, it's kind of neither here nor there for me. Um, that kind of stuff. Um, when I first heard this, like, I was a bit disappointed, because I had better memories of this. But then it started to grow on me a little bit. Just over, like a little bit, like I'm into the combination of like really rhythmic vocal patterns that still retain quite a lot of melody. You know, because I think it allows the each section of the song to have its own atmosphere and to, and to be its own thing. Um, it's very clear where certain sections start and end. You know, because then you get the you get the pretty melody where it's like,
2: yeah, it's just it the just same thing
0: over and over. Yeah, there. it has a little bit of a variation there, but then you when you make the jump to the pre-chorus and it's the uh, all that matters is that you treat me right, and then you get to the chorus where it has it goes kind of back into the more stripped back. Element of how the song first introduces itself. Um, so mm-hmm. I like the fact that the structures are quite clear. I think it's one of JLo's stronger singles, I think. Um, it just has that very memorable hook and chorus, I think. Just the love, do, cause, do thing. I also like towards the end that drop into those kind of parpy synthesized horns. Like that's a pretty bold move, that I think, to just kind of get about two thirds through the song and then just have the entire backing just be. Which, it always jumps out and (laughs) sticks in my ears a little bit. But, but, the big problem for me is the production on this. It's so muddy, very cluttered. Oh, yeah. Yeah, There are loads...
1: Very beige, very beige. There
0: are loads of little details in the mix here, little flourishes and little parts that add up to, like, a decent whole. But they all seem to bump into each other. None of the decisions make sense to me. Like, the song opening up with those orchestral hits are, like, timpani thuds. The... It, d- it doesn't fit <laughs> at all. The, the The drums do not fit with the rest of the song and then you get all those little string things in the background these little synths where like in the verses there's the um the things that go on in the background and none of the individual parts feel like they mesh together and mold together and it really is quite distracting i think like we're just in an age at the moment of, of the cd and the kind of technology that we've got on car radios and cd stereos and things like that where we've moved away from the big hi-fi systems with all the buttons and levers and knobs and things like that with two big dob off speakers you know everything's got a bit smaller you can carry your cd stereo in your hand and it's smaller and quieter than a boombox it doesn't have much bass depth and so all of the bass is kind of, what could work with the bass is kind of flattened out a little bit which means that it ends up really trebly And when it ends up really trebly with this many parts that all feel from very disparate influences that don't blend together very well, it just sounds loud in a way that, and it just means that I'm trying to squint my ears to hear the little details off in the background, but it's all very up and there's not a lot, all very up in your face and there's not a lot of headroom and there's not a lot of breathing space with it. And it's quite suffocating actually as an experience, um, and I think if you're on the radio and you don't really, you know, if you're listening to the radio, driving along to work or home from work or doing shopping or something going about your life, you're not really going to pay attention to this. But like when you've got headphones on, it's just a bit, it's so distracting and it is, it is a huge detriment, I think, to the song because the song itself, I actually quite like structurally it's clear you know it has a verse that i remember it has a chorus that i think a lot of people remember i think it's one of those where you read the title and it's impossible to read it in your head without doing it to the rhythm and melody of the of the hook itself and that's a probably a good argument for it being one of j-lo's stronger songs but i don't know whether that says more about her other songs yeah i think the that establishes catalog. that it's a all-
1: that establishes that it's a low bar to be honest Um, yeah
0: i prefer her as an actress really j-lo um rather than a singer i mean you know she's a triple threat and like you know she has she's an incredibly talented person like incredibly talented like the things that she can do you know it's just and the things that she has achieved in life, you know, like fair play to her and everything like that. But as a singer and as a pop artist, I'm with you, Andy. I think there's a couple of her songs that I'm... That we, I think there's one of them that we've got coming up where I'm like, yeah, I remember liking this. And I remember, I remember the music video really well for the for a number one single that she has later down the line. But there are a lot of ones off this album where I read the titles and I'm like, I don't know if I remember these. Mm. Um, and that's strange because they all get into like the top five, and I don't quite know why. I know some of them. I remember the music videos and things like that. Things like that we won't get to talk about, like "Control Myself" with LL Cool J, mm. um, which has the uh z z z z z z <laughs> I don't remember do that you, at all, and I think that, no, me that
1: moment was improved for me not knowing what you're on about. That was great. it's the um,
0: it's the you got you got you got what it takes to make a boy be bad. It's hard nope. to control myself. Do do. It's hard mm, to control myself. Nothing. Nothing. Um, and, and then the way you also you did it worked. made
2: admit it's like a Muppet
0: doing it. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, all I have as well, the all my pride is all I have. Pride is what you have, baby
2: girl. That's what you have. Nope. You but, no, do you not remember that one? Nope. No, no. <laughs> not, so, my yeah, not my long playlist, I guess. Uh, yeah. um,
0: but I mean, we won't get really get to talk about those, so I'm getting them in now. But like, yeah, there's loads of other ones where I'm struggling a little bit, and so this one stands out more, but not. It's it's just listening to it this week. I'm like, oh, I had better memories of this, and it's a bit of a shame.
1: Just a few, just a few other things on this that uh, you know when you were sort of picking apart the mel- the different melodies in this um, a, a few moments ago. There, it reminded me that I was wondering. I don't know whether this is a reach. It probably is a bit of a reach, but I was just wondering about you know that bit towards the end where she's going
2: that thing
1: a thing. Is that a Lauren Hill? Reference, that thing, that oh, thing, probably. that thing. Oh, probably. Yeah, probably. And yeah. I was like, huh, it took me a few listens to get that. Um, which is like, that hints at a sort of cleverness that isn't on display for most of the song. Um, and I wish that kind of thing was a bit more obvious, because I like those kind of references, yeah. Mm. The other thing the other thing I wanted to mention was, you know, I said there are two or three songs from this genre that I always point to as like, ugh, and this was one of them, Dilemma was the other, and I've remembered what the other one was now, which, oh ugh, ugh. We belong together by Mariah Carey.
0: Oh <laughs> awful. When you're the a part of me. That's the one where she's just walk- together. Oh, walking together. Walking around the house in a lingerie and just like lying on the bed and looking at the camera and stuff. Oh, what a life, eh? Awful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Alright. So. Alright yeah. then. Next up is this. Alright, partner. Keep on rolling, baby. You know what time it is. Total, don't up.
1: Don't do Keep
0: rolling, 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 Keep rolling, 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 rolling. Keep yeah. rolling, 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 Keep yeah. rolling, 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 rolling Now I know y'all be loving this shit right here L-I-N-P, Biscuit is right here People in the house put their hands in the air Cause if you don't care, then we don't care yeah. One, two, three, times two, two to six Chosen for your fix of the Limp biscuit mix So where the fuck you went, punk? Shut the fuck up and back the fuck up Fuck this track up Okay hey motherfuckers, this is rolling Air Raid Vehicle by Loop Biscuit! Released as the second single from Limp Biscuit's third album entitled The Chocolate Starfish and the Hot Dog Flavoured Water. Rolling Air Raid Vehicle is Limp Biscuit's second single to hit the charts inside the UK Top 100. It is the first UK number one, and to this day it's their only number one hit, motherfuckers. Rolling Air Raid Vehicle is... oh, I can't do it. Rolling went straight oh, in. got got it, you it good good.
1: Although, you did sound a bit like a foul-mouthed Shaggy from Scooby-Doo. It was really
0: funny. Cool. <laughs> Isn't that Fred Durst? Isn't that Fred? Durst? <laughs> oh Zoinks! This is rolling by Limp Biscuit. <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right, partners. This is rolling by Limp Biscuit. You know what happened? It.
0: <laughs> rolling air raid vehicle went straight in at number one as a new entry, knocking Jennifer Lopez off the top of the charts, and it stayed at number one for two weeks. It sold 49,000 copies in its first week at number one, beating competition from Things I've Seen by Spooks, which got to number six. All Hooked Up by All Saints, which got to number seven. And You Make Me Sick by Pink, which got to number nine. It then sold 47,000 copies in its second week at number one, beating competition from Poppy Collar by Usher, which got to number two. The Next Episode by Dr. Dre, for God's sake, which got to number three. <sighs> Played Alive by Safri Duo, which got to number six. On the Radio by Martin McCutcheon, which got to number seven. And Dream to Me by Dario G, which got to number 9. When it was knocked off the top of the charts, uh, Rolling dropped three places to number 4. By the time it was done on the charts, it had been inside the top 100 for 13 weeks. That's not long. Again, that's not long. No, not a a big stay, really. Um, It kept rolling down the charts. Mm. It did. It rolled fast. Uh, It kept rolling, 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 and then it Mm. fell out. Um, Andy, what do we make of... Rolling.
1: Uh, I'm actually going to pass the baton back to you, Rob, because I, I, spoilers, I think this is absolute shite, and I know that you like it, so I want you to try and convince me before I dig into this, so you go, please. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um,
0: I don't know if I'll try to convince you, um, but okay, so I've kind of been looking at this one ever since we started the show. This is one of those ones where I've like been, can't wait to get to this one. Like, just just to talk about it and see how other people feel about it.
2: hmm
0: I um, just want to preface this by saying I do have a soft spot for new metal, like, mainstream new metal acts like Korn, Linkin Park, Papa Roach, and especially the ones that you are allowed to like, like Deftones. So, of course, Limp Bizkit are going to be right up my street, I guess. Um, I do love this, to be honest. I think, like have to go into this understanding that that maybe you do maybe you don't that there's a level of irony present whenever limp biscuit do anything like the first song on their first album finishes with fred durst's own conscience telling him to shut the fuck up like you know it's just and from there they go on you know and, and but like you know but, but away from all like the irony and stuff like i think limp biscuit's real strength is actually their rhythm section like fred durst obviously mm. takes a lot of the attention away but like Wes Borland is like, is such a rhythmically focused guitarist. You know, it's less about melody and flourishes, and it's more about like trying to drive the song from underneath. And they're so, as as a rhythm section and as a group, they're so tight, which means that you get the riff like rolling, and it means that if you can get a riff like rolling, it means you get a real groove out of it. You know, when the because you get the do 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 do. And when the guitars whip back around like that, and the drums stab to kind of set them off, because it's like the um, It's yum, it's really good. And then you get Fred Durst, and you either understand him as a frontman or you don't. Like, I understand he really grates on people if you're not into that kind of non-serious, aggro front that he puts on. And he's hardly like a great lyricist, but what he is, And this is where I think the trick of rolling really works, is that he's someone who can lead a party, lead a crowd, and that's exactly what this song is. It's not necessarily anything more, I don't think, than something similar to, like, you know, Be Faithful by Fat Man Scoop, which comes around.
2: Yeah. 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 Where the
0: whole thing is just a hype man shouting for three minutes. Like, just calling out to people... I don't know if it's the actual
1: song, but something that sounds a lot like "Be Faithful" has recently been sampled by Beyoncé as well for "Break My Soul," which has that ah,
2: ah, ah,
1: "ah" thing all the way through it as well. And I think that might
0: be that—that that, that sampling as well. So that's still uh-huh. popular, yeah. Mm. And like, but that whole song is just a hype man shouting for three minutes to whip up a frenzy, calling to everybody in the room that he can think of and saying, "Get up and you know party." And that's kind of what this is where each verse is just kind of not really about anything in particular it's just kind of fred durst kind of looking out to the crowd and being like asking for some call and response and like you know they're a party group like limp biscuits whole thing has been there's always been a level of like vulgarity to what limp biscuit do it's very on the surface with the kind of vulgarity but it's not very serious i think they all kind of know that the joke is on them like whether you buy into the self-awareness or whether you find it annoying, like their latest album that they released last year was called Still Sucks, as if to say Limp Biscuit Still Sucks. And mm-hmm. like, there's a whole song on that album about, I think it's called Love the Hate or something like that. And it's just a guy shouting at Fred Durst about how like he's a rubbish rapper and like, who does he think he is, Eminem? And stuff like that. And so they're always aware of what people say about them, but they just kind of use it to great effect. Although I think that only really started with Chocolate Starfish with this album because their first two, uh Three Dollar bill Yall and um Significant Other, they take themselves a bit more seriously on those records and it's on this one where it's like, Oh no, we're we're aware of what you're saying about us and really the joke's on you sort of thing. And that's I mean, that album is too long and it's full of too much stuff like that, I think. Um Which means that when the 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 stronger songs on it are just the singles. Whereas I think it's of their first three albums, Chocolate Starfish is the weakest. I think Significant Others probably their best. Um, But with this, at least no, I think it's a standout because it's a break from all of the the stuff that's on that record. Where like the last four songs take half an hour. Like it's just an obscenely long record. Again, another problem with the CD age. Where there's mm-hmm. loads of artists like going, oh, we've got all this extra space, what should we do? I don't know, fill it with nonsense. Fine, whatever. And they do that towards the end of the record where there's like a 12 minute song and all this stupid stuff. But this is just kind of Limp Biscuit, Chocolate Starfish era, kind of distilled a little bit. Um, and I will say as well um, that in the middle of uh, shouting out all these people in the crowd and getting them to throw your hands up and do all of this. Um, there's a post from Tumblr a few years ago which I'm not it's not entirely serious but I've always thought it was a pretty funny observation. So it's um it's, it's from Slack Wizard from a few years ago. Noted gender theorist Fred Durst makes reference to the concept of non-binary gender in Biscuit's opus Rolling in Brackets Air Raid Vehicle, which along with the ladies and fellas refers to the people who don't give a fuck. And so mm. that's obviously that's a joke but I just wanted to get that joke in because it's a funny one Um, but yeah okay so I think this has got a great funk and a great groove um, and I think if you were to throw this on in a room full of people everybody would remember it everybody would go along with it and everybody would enjoy it and I as, as far as my positives go I don't think you can get a better example of what this song is uh is, is, is intending to do and what it's capable of. Um, I don't think it's perfect though. I think the verses are a bit overstuffed with all those overlapping and double tracked vocals. There's no real space to do anything else. It ends up sounding a bit muddy again, kind of like JLo, where there's a lot of. You can tell that they've recorded it separately and just kind of spliced it in, where it feels a little bit like three people are talking at once, but it's the same voice. Um That feels a bit overwhelming um probably one of the weirdest eras of um pop music for me in terms of like how production sounds just like just as the c d fades out and the m p three comes in, nobody really knows what kind of system to mix for, and so you mm-hmm. end up with something like this it sounds dynamically I think this sounds a bit flat from beginning to end. it doesn't have much of a contrast in terms of sonics or dynamics, when you think of another song from Chocolate Starfish that didn't reach number one, the um, take a look around Mission Impossible theme that plays around quite a lot with yeah. the Mission Impossible motif and then it builds the song very carefully and it, it grows into, by the time you reach the chorus, it really reaches something of, of quite, a, quite a size I always thought that like, you know stuff from the previous album like Nookie and Break Stuff, they had a bit of a they have a better control of dynamics, But I think with this, I think they knew this was going to be like a massive single at the time. And so they just kind of flattened all the edges out and it yeah. just sounds a bit too streamlined for me in terms of how it sounds. But I am into this. Um, it's got loads of energy. It's got a really good tight rhythm section and it's got a chorus. Everybody remembers, I think. And like I said, that's what the, that's what it aimed to be. It's a party metal record. And I think it achieves that. So I, I I doubt I've convinced you Andy so yeah
1: well I mean this is the first song that we've ever covered on this show really that we've dramatically disagreed on like we we've you know sometimes varied in our like or dislike but I think we've generally sort of If it's a thumbs up, thumbs down, or somewhere in the middle, we've all generally kind of agreed on that for most songs. This is the first one where I really disagree. You know I have great respect for you, Rob, and you argued a case very, very well there. But I'm sorry to tell you that this is shit. Um, (laughs) I mean, it really is. Um, This is is another song, funnily enough, following J-Lo. This is another song and genre that I just don't really get. Um, and, you know, that makes it sound like I'm really picky, but I'm not. You know, between <laughs> between a sort of R&B number that's as thin as tissue paper and this sort of assault on the senses that makes me feel like I'm being mugged, there, there is a, a mid-ground, <laughs> you know. <laughs> there is somewhere in the middle, you know, which is where I quite like my music to be. It's just, it's so obnoxious and loud and noisy for, for no reason and that voice that voice is just so great and it's downright unlistenable um I, I you know I, I wouldn't like trash it and say it has no value whatsoever because it, there is a certain you know sort of level of musical skill involved in putting something like this together and I do get that but I just really really don't ever want to listen to it <laughs> It's 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 got a certain sort of juvenile quality to it, I think, which is like I Mm. I really think I'm interested in what you think about this, Rob, because you're always the first to call out all the stupid kind of fart noises that Eminem does later on, and I really think this is a similar kind of sense of humour. This is a similar kind of sort of you know pulling your tongue at the audience sort of thing. I really think that this is that same sort of vibe, and I and I don't give it as easy a ride, really. I just think if if I was ever caught listening to this, I would immediately turn it off. I wouldn't want people to think that I'm willing to listen to it. I just... Uh, I, I can't <laughs> put my finger on it, but there's just nothing about this I like, other than that I give it a point or two for the 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 fact that they are all at least real musicians who are putting together something that is memorable at least, but I don't give it a point for being you know a chorus that we all remember. You know, we all remember World War two. That's not a sign of quality. you know, it's like
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's it's not i I just don't think that that's a badge of honor, to be honest. I think it's it's memorable in a way that I th- find it really annoying, that I find it really like, oh, just shut off the three of you, four of you, however many of you there are. Just be quiet, <laughs> calm down a bit. Give me a bridge, give me a verse that sort of quiets this down a little bit. Give me some light and shade, don't just go Rrr! all the time, which is what I feel like <laughs> they're doing. <laughs> and that's why it has that sort of juvenile quality for me, is that there's no light and shade, there's no zero to 60. Instead of 0 to 60, it's just 100 all the time. Let's burn rubber. <laughs> and um, I, it doesn't appeal to me at all. And I've not argued this anywhere near as eloquently as you have, Rob. And I completely get that. That my reasons for this are much more kind of just instinctive and primal in that I just don't respond well to stuff like this. Um, and and I, I get that it's probably not as bad objectively as I've suggested that it is. But this is really not for me. And like I say, this is the first one that we've really, really disagreed on. Um, And I I will respectfully disagree with you. Like I say, you know, you made some really good points, but it's just, it's just not for me. I can't engage with this. Um, I really hate it. I'm sorry.
0: It's awful. (laughs) (laughs) Well, to be honest, now you've said that the the way that you said it makes you feel like you're being mugged. I totally get that. (laughs) Like I completely get that. Do you know
1: it has, it Um, has it has a similar vibe to it. I think, of We Will Rock You by Five, where it's just like, a bunch of lads that are like, yeah, we're hard, aren't we?
2: Ugh! Yeah.
1: I just, no, don't respond well to that at all. No, no.
0: Um, and the other thing as well, I can see why people would compare this to Just Lose It by Eminem. Yeah,
2: yeah. Also, oh, I-, God, I can yeah. kind of
0: see why. But for me, I think maybe what separates this from that is that Eminem turned to comedy when he ran out of ideas. Like He had comedy in his repertoire and I would argue that Slim Shady and Marshall Mathers are both it, it, just as funny as they are frightening and stuff like that. But by the time you reach Encore, it's just comedy's just the thing he's leaning on. It's the only thing he does by that point and it's just it's it, it's the sign of Eminem getting bored I think. And so he's just filling the space just trying to annoy me with literally just sounds of him throwing up in a toilet and the whole thing in Just Lose It where they go, whoops, my CDs have skipped and everybody heard you let one rip and stuff like that and it's uh, this was always kind of in Limp Biscuits thing and it doesn't lean, they never lean too far in. To be honest, after this point, I kind of lose touch a little bit I've still never really listened to Gold Cobra or Results May Vary or anything like that and there was, I forget (laughs) the name of the the record um is that the one that Wes Borland wasn't
2: involved with? I think Results May Vary was that one, yeah that's the one where yeah. they did a cover the, yeah, of the one with Behind Blue Eyes and oh. yeah. not, a, not a good record
0: <laughs> yeah yeah, the one with Fred screaming into the CD and it's just a big green cover um, yeah, as but, opposed to this classy CD cover that they've got for
1: this one <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, yeah it was the sort of like uh, where West Bowling kind of backed out and 'Cause they had a lot of fame after this. And in terms of songs off the record, I prefer my way. Um oh, I prefer yeah. take a look around. Um yep. I I'm not totally against the um the remix of this that has DMX, Method Man, and Redman on it. Um oh, no. which is the urban assault vehicle. It's not no. great, but I'm not totally against it. Um but yeah, it's not the strongest one on the record, but like it's it is very much its own thing, Chocolate Starfish, and I always appreciate something that kind of stands out from the crowd for various reasons. Do you know um, what? Do you but, know do
1: you yeah. know? for me, is a good comparison point with this song? Is um, in, in terms of how it musically may have value, but it's still sort of hard to actually listen to, is um, a song by what they call Bloodhound Gang, Yummy Down on This. Mm.
0: which we once analysed we're another kind of borderline comedy group yeah
1: yeah. but when I was on my degree uh, I studied a music degree and we actually briefly analysed Yummy Down On This because of the counter rhythms that it has in it which are actually genuinely quite clever but still we all had to sit there a group of 40 of us just listen to them scream Yummy Down On
2: This, Down On This
1: (laughs) that's the same sort of feeling here where it's like yeah I know what you're doing is Shows some level of talent, but I wish I didn't have to know that. <laughs> yeah. Mm. yeah. Anyway, Lizzie, we've sorry, yeah, we've Lizzie. spoken for long enough. What, Lizzie? What do you think?
2: Yeah, just about. Um, like, <laughs> it go, it, going back to the near misses. Of course, I wish we were talking about the next episode, but I also wish we had a chance to talk about um, All Saints' undignified final, r- r- like top ten hit, all hooked up. Go yeah. and check that one out. It's 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 quite something. Um, yeah Limp Bizkit um, being a nine year old at the time who was into WWE they were a band that impacted a lot on you know me and other kids in my year and um, this was a song that The Undertaker came out to when he came back <laughs> in like his, his big leather jacket and he'd come out on a motorbike and he'd like ride around the ring and I think he was about 40 by this point but you know it was the style at the time kind of thing and like there was I've, I remember vividly there was a kid who used to come into school on own clothes days dressed like Fred Durst like with the backwards <laughs> cap and the big t-shirt and the baggy jeans and like knew all the words to this song and was he was known as that kid who was into Limp Biscuit. and like the most embarrassing thing of all was that kid was me <laughs>
1: <laughs> brilliant
0: Yeah, a brilliant story
2: So yeah, a complicated history with Limp biscuit And my own identity Which started at a very young age But oh. uh, yeah, this song I agree with both of you To an extent I kind of sit somewhere in the middle with this In that I think Limp Biscuit are at the best when they inject their songs with a mix of, like, venom and defiance. Like, I'm generally agreed with Friends this week that their best song by far is My Way, which was also on Chocolate Starfish mm. and was also featured heavily in WWE programming at the time. With You know, the feud with The Rock and Stone Cold. Like, the biggest show of all time was just about to take place. So that's one for the next Culture Corner, I think. But... This just feels kind of more like a Limp Biscuit victory lap. It's a bit like, it's. it reminds me a lot of Real Slim Shady, but without the wit and the sharpness. Whereas Real Slim Shady is kind of like a mission statement. It's, here's what I can do that your favourite rapper can't. And also, I'm going to blow your mind with this storytelling masterpiece later in the year, so stay tuned for that. Whereas this is just, I don't know, it's... It's kind of, I, I do kind of agree with you, Rob, that it is like, um, it's almost like a jock jam sort of thing, where it is just, you know, yeah, pump definitely. the crowd up, like hype man sort of thing. But I think anyone can do that. Like it, Robbie Williams does that. <laughs> it's, it's one of those things that, <laughs> and, and it obviously doesn't last either because in the span of two years, they go from being the biggest alternative rock band in the world to a, a worldwide joke Like, by 2003, you do not admit to being into Limp Bizkit. It just does not (laughs) happen. Like, I I remember the the death of this band in real time. And it is kind of like, is this how new metal dies? Like, it it rises to popularity because of the suburban white kids being disillusioned with boy bands on Total Request Live. If you've seen the Woodstock 1999 documentary on Netflix, you'll know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. But... It's like, what happens when those bands reach the same heights and release their music on the same labels? Like, you look at the charts from around this time. Papa Roach is in the top five with Lash Resort. And also, there's a a little band called Linkin Park creeping up the charts who are in at number 24, who are about to kind of move new metal into that second phase where it's like, it's not just angry, shouty white blokes. It can, you know, you can admit to having quite complex feelings and emotions and, Mm. you know, using that to drive your music forward and not just being this big braggadocious prick. And like, I I feel like that's the direction it's moving in. And so by, you know, by 2002, even, I think this music is kind of a non-factor. Um, I agree with you, Rob, that the highlight of this track is Wes Borland's guitar work. I do think it has a really solid groove. And, like, a funk energy about it. Kind of like Rage Against the Machine it yeah, used to definitely. do. Yeah, definitely, um, yeah. And I think without it, it kind of falls apart. Like, I don't agree with you on the remix, where um, Fred Durst teams up with DMX, Method Man and Redman. I think the beat sounds really half assed And there's no guitar to be found anywhere. And just Fred kind of sounds exposed on that. He sounds mm. like he doesn't belong in this this room full of legitimate rappers who <laughs> yeah. have, you know, who have been in fucking Wu-Tang Clan and Rough Riders, for God's sake. And yeah, when Wes Borden left the band later in 2001, I don't think Limp Bizkit ever really recovered. That that Results May Vary album is terrible. Like, it's generally regarded as one of the worst albums of all time. Hmm. And yeah, no surprises, but we don't hear from Limp Bizkit again. And no, I think... Yeah, this is memorable, but I'd say bands like Linkin Park left a much longer impression on the culture than this did. I think yeah, this agreed. is kind of a novelty. It's it's not something that people remember as a great a, a, you know, as a great piece of music. It is just it's it's yeah, it's memorable, but it's not it doesn't leave a lasting impact. And also, mm. I have just a, a fun little game before I finish. Do you want to guess how many times the word rolling is used in this song? I'll give you a hint. It beats the previous record set by Oxide and Neutrino for Bound for the Reload, Ooh. which was 65.
1: Oh, <sighs> I'm going to say 84... I'm just trying to think. I think it must be a multiple of six, because it's always rolling, 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 rolling. No, it's
0: a multiple of five, so I'm going to say rolling, 80. Rolling, rolling, 80.
2: Okay, 80.
0: Uh, what about you, um, Rob? I'm just trying to think. It's funny that you bring this up, because um, at the start of this record, there's that line, isn't there? Maurice, who says, if I say fuck two more times, that's to 32 fucks in this fucked up rhyme. That's like a different that, song, says. though. Yeah, yeah. It's just funny that that's you know we're yeah. counting how many times a week. So. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go for like seventy-three.
2: Oh, I mean, you're both wrong, but Andy's closer. The correct answer is eighty-three. Ooh, oh wow!
0: Oh, I
1: should have stuck with eighty-four.
2: Huh. Yeah, you would have been one off. Oh, wow! Yeah, fucking hell. <laughs> that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot of it's, It is. Yeah. It's yeah. Too many. But yeah, my way should have been number one. Damn it.
0: Yeah, or Take a Look Around. I would have preferred talking oh, about Oh yeah, those, Take a Look Around It's great too. Yeah. Ah. Anyway, last song this week <laughs> is this. This is so weird. This is so different. I know. This is metal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> me walking down the street, staring at the sky, dragging my two feet, you
2: just passed me by, it still makes me cry, but you can't make me hope.
0: Yep, this is "Whole Again by Atomic Kitten. Released as the fifth single from Atomic Kitten's debut album entitled Right Now, Hole Again is Atomic Kitten's fifth overall single in the UK and their first UK number one. But this is not the last time we will see them on this show. Hole Again went straight in at number one as a new entry knocking Lid Biscuit off the top spot. I just can't believe that "Whole Again... Atomic Kitten can be in the charts, basically at the same time as something like the Biscuit, but there we go. Um, no, no, no. It's just amazing. Um, stayed at number one for four weeks. It sold 69,000 copies in its first week at number one, 85,000 copies in its second week, 102,000 copies in its third week, and then 113,000 copies in its fourth and final week. In its four weeks at the summit, it beat competition from... Stuck in a Moment You Can't Get Out Of by U2, Teenage Dirtbag by Wheatus on two occasions, god damn it, and (laughs) Miss Jackson by Outkast. I know, all of those got to number two, while this was number one. Um, When Hole Again was knocked off the top spot, it fell one place to number two, and by the time it was done on the charts, it had been inside the top 100 for 30 weeks which is really impressive. It is the first of four singles released in the year 2001 to be a certified million seller and a reworked version entitled Southgate, You're The One was released (laughs) in 2021 and got to number 14 as the England men's national football team reached the Euro 2020 final. And it's a song I I have never listened to it. No, nope, I'm not going to. <laughs> I have, and it was genuinely awful. Truly, genuinely awful. <laughs> well, I looked up the lyrics the other day. Do you remember, you know, um, From Paris to Berlin? Yeah. By, oh, yeah. Um, what were they called? Uh, from Paris uh, to Berlin. Uh, uh, I can't remember. Infernal, Infernal, that's Infernal. it. Infernal. And in 2006, they did a World Cup song, which was From London to Berlin.
2: Oh, and, God.
0: And they changed all the lyrics... They, they, they changed all of them, like, to make it more of a, a football song. And it was crap, but, you know, they, they, they made an effort. You know, it's like, you know, they, they changed all the lyrics. Football is a game and England is its name. We're hoping that we win it because we're going insane. And, like, there's, there's even a reference to, like, Jeff Hurst scoring a hat-trick in the World Cup Final in 66 and things like this. And the, the, the lyrics are pretty, you know, they're pretty cheap and pretty rubbish, but they make an effort to turn it into a football song. Whereas, the the Southgate You're The One version is just the same song, but with You Can Make Me Whole Again, it's Football's Coming Home Again. And, <sighs> and then when they get to the chorus, it's just the same again, but it's with Southgate You're The One instead of... So it's, it's just the same. Like if you see me walking down the street, staring at the sky and dragging my two feet, you just pass me by. It'll make it still makes me cry. But football's coming home again. That doesn't. It doesn't mean anything. And then oh. they, they have a little change. And if you see me sitting in the stands, laughing and joking, doing what I can, I won't put you down because I want you around. Football's coming home again. It doesn't mean anything. It it doesn't mean a thing. It's just the same song. And it's like right, girls. Um, England are sort of doing quite well. Um, if they win against Denmark in the semi-final, um, we're just going to put this out. Uh, So could you all just get in the studio on a Friday and we'll do it in like two hours and then, because you can all sing, yep, good, right, fine, have the lyrics on a sheet of paper in front of you, we'll just do the same song, you've done it a million times, and then by Saturday morning it's like, right, it's ready, we're done. And just, yeah, that's really rubbish and it's a shame. And I'm trying to never, ever, ever, ever hear it or listen to it Because it would ruin this version um, mm. Lizzie, whole Again by Atomic we, Kitten
2: Yeah, you mentioned From England to Berlin But I think you're forgetting about the best England World Cup song of 2006 Which was England or Jolly D by Neil and Christine Hamilton <laughs>
0: I never heard this. I was,
1: oh, oh, also get from, that on. also from 2006, I was going to suggest Who Do You Think You Are Kidding? Jürgen Klinsman by Stan Boardman. Yes, but, uh, I remember that oh, one. God. Neil and Christine yeah. Hamilton, you've won that one. Well
2: done. <laughs> I you remember,
0: did Ricky Tomlinson? Um, well, Ann and Deck did one, but I think
2: that was that like was 2002. 2002, yeah. 2002 yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Sven's our man, we've got um. what was it? Sven's our oh man, he's got a plan, we found our super Swede. It's no to Campbell. Campbell to Rio. Yeah,
1: that was great. It's a
0: goal five one. And there was also um Grandad and his son Elvis as well. Everybody remembers that one. There um, was also
2: four four two with Come on England, which was to the tune of Come on Ireland. Oh Island.
0: yeah, and you know the lead of <laughs> <up> number two.
2: <laughs> the lead singer on that was
1: Jonathan Wilkes. <laughs>
2: I know. <laughs> <laughs> Robbie Williams is friend. <laughs>
1: oh dear. Anyway, we still haven't seen a Down again. that rabbit hole.
2: Yeah. Yeah, um Hole again. I really wasn't expecting to like this one as much as I ended up liking it. And in that sense, I'm not surprised that it kind of sold more week on week, because I think this is a tune you first hear it, you think, yeah, that was all right. And then it kind of you, you sort of worms its way into your head. And it's like, oh, I could do listen to that again. And it just again and again. And the more you play it, you notice little things about it that you just it, you, it makes you like it more and more and I kind of assumed this was a cover for the longest time because obviously they the next one they cover is Eternal Flame by the Bangles but I think there's a very obvious like Burt Bacharach and Hal David or like Lieber and Stoller influence, particularly Bacharach, mm. you know the first line is if you see me walking down the street like yeah they know <laughs> like Andy McCluskey and and the rest mm. of OMD, they know what they're doing here Um, and yeah the, the singing isn't amazing on this one but it feels genuine at least it it feels like it it's from the from the heart and like it doesn't sound kind of labored in any way i'd say it's a shame the production isn't better on this like i do like the underwater sounding organ backing yeah and the sort of gentle strings that come in and fade back out but i think the drum beat in particular is a bit too sharp for such a gentle song like it sounds very of its time and not in a good way but yeah overall i i genuinely really do like this and i think there's there's bits of it that do kind of clutch on my heartstrings like time is weighing heavy on my heart that's a beautiful line and Mm. like i also didn't know that this was um an omd leftover Mm. That it was just like one of those songs that you can't really do as OMD because obviously, you know, it's ah. OMD. But yeah. if you listen to something like Enola Gay, you can kind of figure out the rough shape of it and it's kind of similar. There's also a bit of like, you know, Stand By Me in there as well. It's quite a simple five chord structure. But it doesn't need to be anything else. They've not thrown in a pointless chord change or a chord change, key change, or anything like that because they don't need to. They've got a solid melody, and they've worked around the um, the weaknesses, if you can call that, of the vocalist to kind of create something genuinely quite moving. I think, and I'm, I'm waiting for the day when a soul diva comes along and covers this and. Does it the justice it deserves away from the cheapo production that this is saddled with? Like I think it's a genuinely brilliant breakup song that maybe doesn't get its due because of the name attached to it.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I I actually mostly agree with you there, Lizzie. But Andy, what about you?
1: I I really really thoroughly agree um, with with virtually everything you've said there, especially the fact that. It, this is actually a really great song that is yearning to break free from artists and producers who perhaps aren't worthy of it um and mm. I don't mean that to sound quite as shady as it did that perhaps came out wrong but I think I think atomic kitten are just inherently a little bit sort of uh, boring frankly sometimes they're just a little bit not that not that thrilling um and th- their voices are you know perfectly decent but they've not got like big powerful booming voices and i I completely agree that someone with more soul could really do something fantastic with this. Um, yeah. I, th- I think it would be a good choice for like Radio 1's Live Lounge to really try and do something with this. Um, yeah, I completely agree with that. And I also agree that despite the fact that it sounds very tinny, which I think is always the problem I've had with it, is that it sounds a bit cheap, sounds a bit mm. tinny. That definitely is the problem that I've had with it. And despite that, it is a really nice song. It's really, really good. Um, I should say that my parents are like the world's biggest fans of OMD, they've seen them about 30 times, they follow them around, um, they like absolutely obsessed with OMD, so I've heard this story about how they wrote this a million times, um, and I think you can tell, I think if there's one thing about OMD, is that they are fantastic songwriters, um, I think they are probably, for me, I think they're better songwriters than they are uh, artists, like, you know, actual rec- recording artists, really. They, they've yeah, written some absolutely cracking songs, and this is one of them. Um, it's so, so catchy, like, really catchy. Um, it really gets in your head, even when you don't want it to be. It really just kind of eats away at you, a little earworm. Um, in a good way, and not in the rolling, 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 rolling way. Um, it's <laughs> This is my something in the middle, right? This is what I was asking for. But it's it's not just nothing, like JLo was. It's not being punched in the face like I was by Limp biscuit This is my something in the middle. It's lovely. Um, I do think definitely It needs a little bit more oomph, which really holds it back for me from being absolute classic, from being, you know, an iconic song. I think it needs a bit more oomph. It needs better singers behind it, if I'm honest. And it definitely needs a bit of a kick in the production. Um, But yeah, the lyrics are absolutely lovely. That's what really, really strikes me. The lyrics are gorgeous. And the melodic lines are really nice as well, that... Each each chorus is just slightly more developed than the last. There's extra little elements being thrown in each time. What I found really interesting as well was the uh, seemingly very slight All Saints influence with that spoken word... um, Breakdown in the Middle, which is a All Saints Calling card, um, which it's nice to see them sort of <laughs> slightly influencing the future as well. Yeah. Um, there's, there's, there's loads of really, really nice elements to it, and I think what I would say is that it's probably less than the sum of its parts in that there's actually huge potential in this song. It's a really nice song. There's loads of nice little aspects of this littered throughout. It just needs to be pulled together a bit more tightly and with a bit more power. Um, but nonetheless it's really a really really enjoyable piece of music it's certainly my favorite of the week i wouldn't go as far as saying it's you know amazing or anything like that um but yeah it's really really nice and i, I think it's a really good example of just straightforward good pop music that hmm. sometimes playing it a bit safe is actually quite good because you can just do a nice song deliver it well Please the crowd. I'm not surprised that it was number one for so long and that it sold so well because it is just a very straightforward crowd pleaser. Some may say that's because it's the lowest common denominator and it is to some extent, but is there really anything wrong with that if it's pop music? You know, it's, nice. it's, I think as long as it's still nice music, as long as it's still interesting music, I don't really have a huge problem with that. Um, one more question for you all.
0: Um, name Atomic Kitten. <laughs> I only looked this up before. I've got a here that, that the first so, names are, I want to say, Jenny, is the yeah other Jenny one. Frost. Jenny Frost. Is, She's is the replacement I've, one. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I mean, I've got two of their other first names written down, so I won't mention them.
1: I always think that sounds like the real name of a superhero who can turn into a Snow Queen. Like, my real name is Jenny Frost, yeah. (laughs) I mean, there's the obvious, there's the obvious member, the very famous member of Atomic Kitten. Yeah, Kerry. Kerry. Yeah, who left. Who
2: who left during the promotion. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And the
1: other two, do you remember who the other two are?
2: Oh, I do,
1: because
0: I've got their names written down, but i so, I'm, I'm okay. not going to guess. Well, it's Liz McLaren and Natasha
2: Hamilton.
1: Mm. Liz McLaren. Oh,
2: Natasha Hamilton, yeah.
1: Liz McLaren, within like the. Because I lived in Liverpool for the first 20 years of my life, like in the local Liverpool scene, she really hung around. Like, she was always on at like local festivals and like turning up on TV and stuff like that. She really tried to make a go of it as a solo singer, bless her. And it did never, mm. never really turned out. But yeah. Mm. Talking much about Natasha Hamilton or Jenny Frost, but yeah. There we go. We've got a few more. Um, Sort of long, long since disbanded girl and boy bands coming up over the next few years, so I'm going to test you on those members as well. <laughs> but yes, oh, uh, but yeah, I think this and is play really, along at home too. Yes, do play along. <laughs> yeah, this is a really really nice piece of music. It needs a bit of a kick up the arse to get it to that extra special level, but I really really enjoyed this. It's lovely.
0: Yeah. As for me, uh, I'm more toward Lizzie on this one. Um, I think this is. I think it's quite romantic and sweet. Um, There's a sense of real longing in the atmosphere and the lyrics. Um, The image I always get in my head is of somebody just kind of seeing somebody that they used to be with over like you know over over the bar or something like that or just kind of like seeing them on the other side of a, a restaurant or something and just kind of walking over and sitting down next to them and just kind of having them hit it off, like... Because, you know, that kind of thing happens. I mean, I know that, like, some people break up and... Well, most people break up and that's it forever, but, you know, not with everybody. Um, and there's just there's just a sadness where it's like, oh, maybe I made a mistake and that sort of thing. Um, it's funny, Lizzie, you're mentioning Burt Bacharach before. Because mm. the album that he did with uh, Elvis Costello... Um, painted from memory, from about 1998. Um, mm. So just before this. Um, lyrically, this kind of reminds me of that too. Um, this is yeah, obviously yeah. a bit more simplistic, just because it's you know it's pop and it has to appeal to more people. But there's a there's a broadness to this which I actually quite like. It kind of avoids um, sort of like specificity, but it does so in a way that feels not just it doesn't feel calculated in a way that it often you know vague kind of broad sentimental songs can do i think there's a vulnerability and a tenderness to this and especially towards the end when you can hear them really straining to hit the notes andy you were sort of saying about this like maybe needing better singers and i agree but i also think it kind of works to its strengths because yeah it makes it feel more normal yeah, honest. Yeah. Like yeah, genuine. Just a, j- yeah, just a person saying this and like especially towards the end when it, I don't know if it, if it's Natasha or Liz that's ad libbing and doing those new inflections over the main melody. The uh, I cannot escape and I cannot forget. That it stuff. Like normally that's sorry, I'm just carrying on. <laughs> turn me on. Yeah, you can um make me Sorry, yes, yeah, sorry. Normally <laughs> that kind of stuff puts me off. But this song mm. is a plea, and I think it's endured really, really well. Um, yeah, totally. Production is f- the the drums specifically; they're too loud and they're a bit too cheap. Just get somebody mm. in to play the fucking drums. I know. Like, just your OMD for God's sake. Yeah, they're just. It, I don't know. It just doesn't seem that. It, it just, it, it, they don't suit the environment at all. Like, you've got no. that organ, which is a lovely backing throughout. It's this lovely bed for the song. But the drums are just kind of obtrusive and sort of, they, they, they get in the way a little bit too much. Um, I don't love this. I think that there is also an element where, like you were saying there, Randy, it feels like it's a it feels like it's a station above the people who are performing this in a way that I can't really get out of my head. And it's not normally a way that I feel, because, you know, a song is a song and whatever. Mm. Um, And whoever performs it, if they perform it to a good standard, then, you know, good for them. And, like, it clearly connected with a lot of people and it's endured really well, sold loads of copies. I love the story about it as well, where, like, they were basically on the end of, like they were going to get released from their record contract because their first four singles had done quite well but not very well and so this album track that's like al- it's like track 6 on the album like you know not really towards the beginning as a big you know front load it with all the singles and it's not really towards the end as a big kind of closer it's just kind of buried in the middle somewhere mm. and they thought well let's try this like they pushed for it let's let's try this let's get it released and then this takes off and it sets them up for life, which I think is quite nice. I think that's yeah. a nice story and I imagine they always feel quite nice about it um, as a as a result.
2: I have a, a little thing, if that's OK, because for me, this is one of two number ones this year, which I think as a kid, I didn't I didn't really understand, but felt sort of unnerved by because it was like a glimpse into an adult world which I didn't really understand Mm. and in a sense I feel like those songs caught up with me and I kind of enjoy them more as a result yeah does that make sense yeah no totally it's like it's complex emotions that as a as a nine-year-old child you don't you don't really have any reference point to but you know it's kind of adult and it's out of your domain
0: It's like Rise,
2: Gabrielle. Yeah, yeah, definitely like Rise. Yeah. Ah. Oh, well, that's nice, yeah.
0: Yeah. All right, then. Um, Before we go, we've got our vault and piehole inductions. So we'll run through the songs that we've done, and Mm -hmm. then we'll stick our hand up if they're going in the vault or the piehole. So uh, Touch Me by Rui De Silva and Cassandra. Is anyone going to... No. Put a paddle up for them. No. Not quite. No. Uh Love Don't Cost a Thing, Jennifer Lopez. I'm I'm not. No. N- nah. No. Okay. Rolling Air Raid Vehicle by Lip Biscuit. Uh yeah. I'm gonna put it in the pie hole. Okay. I'm putting it in the vault. So oh, that's a yeah. first. That's a first. Yeah, okay. That's a first. Yeah, that's the first time that's happened. Wow. Um, I have no strong feelings <laughs> one way or the other.
2: So. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh,
0: and hole again by Atomic Kitten.
2: I so- I'm going to put this in the vault. I so nearly. Okay. Yeah. I
1: so nearly. Um, I've been, It's been growing on me all week. Um, but no, I'm not going to. I don't love it that much. But really close for me. Yeah.
0: But Lizzie's done we it anyway. We may review so yeah. at the end. Of, well, we may yeah. review at the end of the year. Lizzie has at least got it in for a vote. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. At the end of the year, excellent. Okay, so next time we'll be covering four number one hits from the year 2001 and the the ones that were number one between the 10th of March to the 27th of April so a bit of a shorter period of time we'll mm-hmm. be covering next time. Thank you very much for listening this week and we will see you again. So bye bye. See ya. See ya next week. Pure and simple, we're
1: gonna be there. <laughs> <laughs>